Hi and welcome to God's Word in 30 Minutes. As always, it's an honor to bring God's Word to you. Now I'm excited about it. Let's pray and dive right into God's Word, shall we? Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we thank you for your Word, taught with clarity. We receive skills falling off our eyes, our hearts, established in your will as we are strengthened in the same as light floods are mighty. To the praise and the glory of your name. Amen. Alright, so we began to look into the Christian faith a while back and the last time out we left off where we were looking at comparing Leviticus 16 and Hebrews in chapter 9, chapter 9 and 10 and 11, where we began to investigate what the apostles mean or what um, Paul meant when he said Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Because you see, one of the most important things about the Christian faith is um, the the authenticity and the trustworthiness of the scriptures. The moment, I always say it like this, the moment the Bible and the Old Testament writings can be discarded and devalued and we can immediately pick fault in everything in those books, that moment the Christian faith is void and empty. I'll say that again. The moment we can pick fault in all of the Old Testament writings, then we can pick forth all of the epistles. The moment we can do that, then the Christian faith is void and null. You see, because Peter very carefully said it in, in his second epistle. He said, We did not follow cunningly devised fables who represented to you the glory and the majesty of God, for we were eyewitnesses of his majesty and glory when there came a voice to him from excellent glory. This is my beloved son, um, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then he said, But you, ha we have. Uh, a more sure word of prophecy. I'm quoting Second Peter in chapter one, from verse seventeen. There about where it says, "We have a more sure word of prophecy that you do well to take it unto, as the day dawns and the day star until the day dawns and the day star arises in your heart." Then it goes on to say, "No prophetic writing or no word of prophecy was given by private interpretation, but holy men of God speak as were moved by the Holy Ghost." So Peter very clearly states. That the things that are communicated in the gospel of Jesus, the things that are communicated in the Christian faith, are emphatically based on the writings of the prophets. And so if we can invalidate the writings of the prophet and invalidate the teachings and invalidate their content, then we can literally invalidate the Christian faith. Which is which is which is important because it's funny when you hear believers discard the Old Testament writings in the name of living in the epistles. And while I understand that that's a, it's somewhat valid, it's not entirely true because the epistles speak their teaching and their reality from those books. I showed you last time out, some time ago, I showed you how that Paul, when he went to preach in the city called Berea, the folks there went back to check if the things he said were so. Well, why would they do that? Because he taught them from certain books. And so having those books at home, they went back to check if what he said from those books were true. It's just like you have a, teacher was teaching you biology in school and the teacher tell, and then you know what the school syllabus is supposed to look like and then you know what the textbooks are supposed to be i mean every same secondary school setting has fixed textbooks for all the different subjects i know that obviously teachers have um, an array of textbooks to pick from but they have fixed textbooks to to use or if, if the secondary school is a poor setting if you if you Secondary schools are the best setting, actually. Or you go to a private primary school where there are textbooks per term 
add up as per session rather and then as you're resuming for the session as you're collecting school fee, um, school fees receipts or um school fees invoice or whatever it is you are also getting the list of books that your parents are expected to get i know that that happened to me growing up and so you know that if your teacher teaches something you can always go back to that textbook where he taught it from to reinvestigate and so one of the vital things that we must realize is that the things that are taught in the epistles were taught from the body or were we explanations of the body of teaching that had been taught hitherto from the old testament writings and so i've said this before paul did not intend that his writings of Ephesians were going to replace the writings of isaiah or the writings of jeremiah or the writings of moses and so we must not in our practice and our study of the scriptures all right we 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 replace and lose value of all those books because we feel that they are old testament and we live in the new testament or we are under the new testament we always have to be careful with the things that we say and the things that we think we are trying to say so that we don't in the with the right disposition or with the with the right idea or with the right mindset say wrong things all right that haven't said that let's get right into what we're looking at so we're investigating the gospel of christ we're investigating second first corinthians chapter 15 from three and four where paul says i delivered unto you the same things that i received that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and then in luke in chapter 24 jesus says um, ought not christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory verse 25 and beginning at moses and all the prophets he expounded unto them the things concerning himself in verse 46 and 47 of the same chapter of luke 24 he tells his disciples that christ ought to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins will be preached in his name. And so very clearly we find out that there is a thing about the sacrifice of Jesus and our sins, the death of Jesus and our sins. In other words, we can say like this, that one of the things that the Christian faith deals with primarily is the sin problem. The sin problem. And what exactly does he do? That's what we would continue that today. What exactly did Jesus do about the sin problem? Because again, in um, we looked at this the last time out in Acts in chapter two, where Peter preaching at the, at the on the day of Pentecost, where he said a few things, and then he said that uh, when they asked him, "Men and brethren, what shall we do?" He says, "Repent and baptize every one of you for the remission of sin." And so very clearly again, the remission of sins is in the work of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. In Acts in chapter 10 in the house of Cornelius, he says the same thing. He says, through this man is given the forgiveness of sins, whosoever believes in his name. So very clearly there's something that the faith speaks about sin. And let me say that one more time. One of the hallmarks that differentiates the Christian faith from every other faith in the world is what the christian faith says about the sin problem i take that again every other faith in the world as it were every other religion in the world believes that man has a problem with sin and that's very correct all right the christian faith believes the same every other religion in the world buddhism um islam and Shintoism and all the other isms in the world they, they believe that man has a sin problem that needs to be tackled and that's very correct but you see they do not provide a solution to that problem 
they identify a problem but there is no solution to the problem so there is the ablution and then the many prayers and then the good works and then trying to live a good life i told you a while back that there's a difference between a holy life and a good life so i don't think i need to go over that again so trying to live a good life where you're good that ways you're bad and all of those things living with the uncertainty of whether or not the sin problem has been sorted out but you see the christian faith is not like that in the christian faith the message is that christ died for our sins that is your entrance into the christian faith is an acknowledgement that something has been done about your sins without your input and so when you meet a believer when i meet believers who still have this sin consciousness sin problem and they still go back and forth over it i always wonder do you really understand the faith do you really understand it say no no but we still have to confess our sins you know they say things like that we still have to confess our sins we still have to do this and we still have to do that maybe after when after we're done with the christian faith maybe we'll look at the believer and sin and what how the believer should respond when he sins because believers still do sin but you see jesus did not the death of jesus was not to remove the well i can say that <laughs> the death of jesus was not to remove the ability to sin for men really it was to deal with the effect of sin in its resurrection and the afterwards the aftermath of his resurrection it deals with the sin problem as per the, the the heart of a man and the lifestyle of the man and all of that would explore all of that but primarily is death deals with what the sin problem causes so the man who has not believed the gospel of jesus who maybe is a devout whatever devout muslim devout buddhist devout zenist devout whatever and all the many religions in the world devout if i praise devout whatever he lives daily with a consciousness that there is a problem in his heart, a sin problem that he cannot deal with. And so in Hebrews, so and, and so you find out that in the, before I jump to the book of Hebrews, you find out that in the Old Testament writings, they had the same problem. They had the same problem. In the Old Testament writings, they had the same problem. There was a very clear recognition that there was a problem with man and sin, and that the effects of sin always seem to catch up with man. And that man was incap incapable of dealing with the problem of himself. And so the many sacrificial systems that you find in the Old Testament were a product of that recognition. Do you understand this? I'll say that again. The, the, the sacrifices in the Old Testament were a recognition of the sin problem. That man cannot deal with a sin problem. That man is a sinner and he needs a savior. That's very clear. And when we see that, we would understand how the Christian faith is distinct from all the other faiths in the world. And so we can very state say this, we can say this with emphatic stress, as it were. We can say this without mincing words, without um, insulting anybody, still being sincere. And we can say very clearly. That if a man has not believed the gospel of Jesus, he is still in his sins and he is in a precarious position because he is going to hell. We can say that. And so when you, so, so it, it's, it's part of the gospel. 
It's part of <laughs> uh, that sounds very funny. But it's part of the realities and the truths in the Christian faith that if a man refuses to believe the gospel of Jesus, he's heading towards damnation. In fact, in Mark chapter 16, Jesus says, This time go into the world, preach the gospel to every every creature, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believes not is damned. That's a that's very clear. Emphatically, he that believes not is damned. And so that means that what Jesus did, it did about our sins. We saw Leviticus in chapter 16 and how the high priest does the work that he does. And then we've seen, we've seen um, Isaiah in chapter 53. You, give it, you make his soul an offering for sin. Um, the Lord has laid upon him our, our iniquity. And so all of those things are things that we must never forget. You see, let me say this again for, for the sake of emphasis. The believer must never forget the truths about sin and his relation and standpoint to sin the man that has believed the gospel is not in fact, let's see this first corinthians chapter 6 and in verse in verse um verse 10 and i'm just jumping into a thought and this is not really the, the conversation for today but i just want to say this maybe i'll start reading from verse 8 um from verse 9 do you not do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor homosexuals nor sodomites nor thieves nor covetous nor drunkards nor revilers nor extortionists will inherit the kingdom of god and so many people quote this to christians but then paul says and such were some of you but you are you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus and by the spirit of our god and so that's the reality of every man who has believed the gospel of jesus his sins are forgiven now i'm going to address that statement my sins are forgiven because many times when we think about that statement i mean we've said very clearly that jesus died for sins all right so that's that's clear when we say that because jesus died for my sins means my sins are forgiven but we often think about it as i i i did the wrong and then um somebody paid the price for my wrong and now i am forgiven and so we think forgiveness will mean that i was supposed to be punished and then now i am no longer being punished and that's forgiveness which in a, in a sense that's true but there is a deeper meaning to that word or that statement, the forgiveness of sins in the Bible. There's a deeper meaning. You see, first of all, the Bible considers sin as it were a debt, not an, a debt, D-E-B-T, all right? Not just an action, but a debt. And so you find that Paul will say in the book of Romans, the wages of sin is death d-a-t-h but the gift of god is eternal life so the bible does consider sin as it were debt debt to be paid and when you realize that that's how the bible sees sin you would begin to pay attention to what would mean by the forgiveness of sins in the bible because in when it comes to the forgiveness of sins it's not just an overlooking of the wrongdoing god's forgiveness of sins in the new testament that jesus wrought by his blood is not the overlooking of wrong mm -mm, it's not let me say this again 
Now, all the while in the Old Testament times before Jesus came, God overlooked wrongs. In Romans in chapter 3 and in verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus to all and all to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his pay attention here. Whom God set forth, Christ Jesus, God set him forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. How interesting. In his righteousness, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So forgiveness in the Old Testament times prior to the coming of Jesus was an overlooking of wrongs because there was no sacrifice that would deal with the sin problem. And so when we talk about the forgiveness of sins in Jesus, we are, t we are addressing issues beyond overlooking sin because in reality, Jesus paid the debt. And if, if, I, if, you, if you owe me Let's use a very simple um, business analysis. If I owe an organization 100,000 Naira, I mean, Nigerian so Naira is just the easiest thing to use, 100,000 Naira. And then that organization, after a while, I wasn't able to pay and all of that. And then the organization said, you know what, free it. Um, we'll let you go, we'll clean your state. You, we'll give you a clean state. You owe us nothing. That, that now, that's that's... That's forgiveness in many people's mindset, right? So, but it doesn't change the fact that I am incapable of meeting the demand. <laughs> do you understand this? I'm incapable of meeting the demand and I do not have anybody to meet that demand for me. It also means that should I take another loan from that organization, I would, in fact, most likely that organization will be very skeptical of giving me another loan because I didn't pay that loan the last time. They just cleared it out. But if I have a friend who is wealthy or who suddenly f had some money come into his account and then he said, oh, you owe this organization 100000 uh, you know what, I'll pay it on your behalf. And then he goes to the organization and clears the book. Now, if I go to the organization to ask for a loan again, they would want to give me because they know that I either can clear it myself or somebody can clear it for me. You see, really, so when it comes to forgiveness of sins, it's really an idea that man owed a debt. Uh, we're going to address all of those things because we really need to understand who did he owe. <laughs> oh my God, did he owe God a debt? Was God the one who was being owed? None of those things. But that's how the epistles painted. That's how the Bible painted. It's like a death that is owed, and you're not just the debt is not just overlooked. the The sacrifice of Jesus is given as a propitiation. Propitiation. The word there is atonement. Now, what is an atonement? Leviticus 16. That day is called the day of atonement. So let's go back to Leviticus 16 and see exactly what is happening. What is exactly is Aaron doing in Leviticus 16? He's making atonement for the sin of the people. 
what exactly is the goal of the atonement of Aaron? Was it what exactly is it trying to achieve in the atonement? What is what is the work of the high priest to the end that atonement is reached? Now, that statement, that word atonement, can actually be translated as reconciliation. Do you understand this? Reconciliation. Now, again, when we talk about reconciliation, it's not the two people are fighting and then you come to tell them, don't fight again, be friends and that. No, it's a... It's a business terminology here. Again, reconciliation, it will be like you're running a profit loss in your balance sheet if you run businesses. That's what it is, reconciliation. So, in reconciliation, somebody is perfect or something is perfect and something else is not as perfect as it. So, you have, a, you have an income of 100,000 naira and then you spend... 80,000 naira. So there's a missing amount. Then you write balance 20,000 naira. So the balance is how that balance is how you ensure that your profit, that the, the income and the expenses match. So the balance is a reconciliation. Come on, do you get this? It's a reconciliation. So when you go back to Romans in chapter 3, it says, We have sinned and come short of the glory of God then god has given jesus as the atonement propitiation reconciliation do you understand this that is we fell short of the glory of god in our sins but jesus came to close the gap so that we would now stand fully in the glory of god this is forgiveness of sins in the new testament that the man is unworthy to stand before god oh i'm a jumping gun and then Jesus takes responsibility for the sin of the man and offers the man reconciliation so that that absence, that gap, that void, that, that distance is closed out. Let's go back to Leviticus 16. And then in Leviticus 16, it says it shall be a statue to them forever. That's in verse 29. But it says that Aaron is going to make atonement for the holy place. In verse 17, there shall no man be in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place. To make atonement. That's what he's doing. Atonement. Reconciliation. He's going to make reconciliation in the holy place. And then he says, until he comes out to make atonement for himself, for his household, and for the assembly, then he shall go to the altar before the Lord, make atonement for it, take some of the bull of blood of the bull and blood of the goat, put it on, on the horns of the altar. And he says, and when he has made an end of the atoning, verse 20, when he has made an end of the atoning for the holy place, tabernacle of meeting, he shall bring the live goat, Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over the iniquities of the children of Israel. And so because of time, time is no longer my friend, and I have to be very time conscious. I would ask you to go through the book of through the, the, the book of Leviticus, just chapter 16, and see how many times atonement, atoning is used. Now, in some translations, you find the word reconciliation. You find the word reconciliation. Properly translated, I think the King James, properly translated reconciliation. And you see very clearly, very evidently, what exactly this is about. Because there's a reconciliation being done. Now, let's backtrack a few verses and just read, and then we'll pick it up again. 
Like, don't forget what I said. We're on trying to understand this forgiveness of sins in the New Testament. This forgiveness of sins that we receive by the death of Jesus, by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This Jesus died for our sins. What exactly does he mean? All right. And if the scriptures give us evidence about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and we're supposed to look into the scriptures for evidence, then we must be able to look from the scriptures to see what exactly Jesus did. Now, looking at the work of Aaron again, in verse 16, such he shall make atonement for the holy place because of, pay attention now, the uncleanness of the children of Israel, one, and because of their transgressions, two, for all their sins, because of their uncleanness, because of their transgression, for all their sins. In verse 30, he says, for on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins come on are you saying this shall cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins so the work of atonement is not just to say uh i'll ignore you see so it's not a case of your clothes is dirty but we'll let you into the house anyway no 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 it's your clothes is dirty we're going to get you washed and clean so that you can enter the house i'll say that again the work of atonement is not, uh, it's not, uh, you owe, you owe money, but we we'll just pretend like you don't owe money. And, you know, we we'll just allow you to take another loan, even though we know you owe money. I just can't close it out like that. No, 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 no. It's that you owe that money, but somebody is going to come and going to clear the debt for you. And so that if you ever, you need to take another loan, you can take it without ever being, being thought of as one who used to owe or one who owes. All right. So, in the work of atonement, it's basically a work of reconciliation. The people are unfit for a holy God in their midst. Aaron is coming to do atonement so that the people would be fit for the holy God in their midst. Oh, come on. I hope you got that. The people are unfit to dwell with the holy God. But Aaron is going to come once a year to make sacrifice for the people so that they would be fit to stand before the holy god and so the atonement is for the people it's not for god the atonement is so that the people would have confidence now i'm jumping a lot of things to stand before god the people are absent their hearts are stiff-necked but by seeing the aaron sacrifice successful the people would approach god with the confidence that atonement has been done on their behalf and that they would no longer have a memory that they sinned last year so aaron's sacrifice or the priestly sacrifice was done every year and every year that it is done the writer of Hebrews says there's a remembrance of sin would address that soon but in the mind of the Jew, every year that this is done, it's another clean slate for another year. Another clean slate for another year. Another clean slate for another year. Come on, are you getting this? The writer of Hebrews now tells us that Jesus made an eternal offering. He offered himself once for all and sat down. And so that means that Jesus, the, the, the sacrifice of Aaron and the, his sons will make the people, give the people a clean slate for a year. And that one year, afterwards, they make another atonement for another year. The sacrifice of Jesus will wipe off our sins off us, will wipe our sins off from us. So do you, do you see do you see this? It's not wiping their sins away from the presence of God because really, it's not. <laughs> do you see? Do you see? This? Let's see that again. <laughs> Let's see that again. Verse 30. 
For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. That you may be clean from your sins before the Lord. So it's not like the sin is somewhere and then you are somewhere and then the sin is now obstructing you. No, 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 no. The sin is you with you so that you may be clean from your sins before the Lord. In other words, the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offers is really to the end that man would have confidence to approach God. So when I say Jesus died for my sins, I'm basically saying that he offered himself to make atonement for me. And so don't forget what I said. Romans in chapter 3, verse 23. All have seen that come short of the glory of God. Um, but God has made Jesus the propitiation, the atonement for us. So Jesus balances us with God. Do you understand? In 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, it says, We know verse 17 a lot. Um, if any man in Christ, a new creature, all things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new, and all things are of God. Who has given, who has reconciled us, reconciled us to himself, and given us the ministry of reconciliation to it. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, and not imputing their trespasses unto them. Do you see that? Reconciling the world to himself. Closing the bridge. Closing the gap. And bringing man to a place where man can stand before God. This is the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offered. Not just that our sins are overlooked, but that something is done about our sins to the end that we would stand before God, clean from our sins. In other words, we can say that the blood of Jesus was used not to wash somewhere in the presence of God and pour blood somewhere so that God will not see our sins, God will be seen blood. No. It was used to wash us. I have been washed in the blood, in the soul, cleansing blood of the Lamb. My heart is spotless, I am white as snow. I am washed in the blood of the Lamb. I have been to Jesus for the cleansing work. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. My heart is but less I am white as snow. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah! Our sins are washed off. Aaron sacrificed once a year, Jesus once for all, in his death for us, never to die again. He died once, never to die again. To make atonement for us, never to make atonement again. Because in his one work that he did, he did a perfect job. We'll continue this next time. This is getting interesting, getting pretty interesting. We'll explore further into this conversation. See you. Remember, share this with someone. Ensure that you find someone to share this with. Ensure that you find someone to listen to this alongside with you. Because God's word is for all of us. For our hearts to be established in the street. Cheers and see you next time. Bye.